Hi, it's Chris. A few reminders. First, have you signed up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com? It brightens your week with my thoughts, show notes, extra questions with guests, and more. This week's bonus question from Michael D'Antonio and Peter Eisner. Given what you write about Pence, would the country be better off with President Trump or a President Pence? You can sign up at chrisreback.com. Next, if you like the podcasts and the newsletter, how about supporting the effort? Become a member of Chris Reback's Conversations. Members get invitations to submit questions for upcoming podcast guests, exclusive early access to select podcasts before general release, access for limited complimentary copies of recent guest books, a signed copy of my book, You Won, Now What? How Democracy Works from City Hall to the White House. Most importantly, you'll be supporting a podcast that I hope you enjoy. Other benefits will be added in the future, and we offer two tiers of membership, patron and superstar. Choose the one that's right for you at chrisreback.com slash membership. Finally, thank you to everyone who takes the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It makes a big difference. So if you like these conversations, I'd appreciate if you take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. You know my parallel ask, though. If you don't like the conversations, well, thanks for still listening, but please just forget that whole rate and review thing. So, three items for the checklist. Sign up for the newsletter, become a member, and please rate. Thanks, and now let's get to the podcast. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Who is Mike Pence? It seems strange, but more than two years after he entered our national stage, how much do you feel you know about the vice president? He's a man of faith. We know that. But what exactly does that mean? He also has acted as something of an economic libertarian. He's a favorite of the Koch brothers. But again, what does that mean? And how does it connect with his religious beliefs? And then there's his treatment of Donald Trump. George Will notably called Pence a sycophantic poodle. And we all remember the 2017 Cabinet Roundtable where Pence, as the Washington Post noted, offered, quote, one expression of gratitude or admiration every 12 seconds over three minutes of, quote, impromptu praise. How do these strands, the faith, economics, his exceptional handling of Donald Trump come together? Who, in fact, is Mike Pence? That's what Michael D'Antonio and Peter Eisner cover in their new biography, The Shadow President, The Truth About Mike Pence. It's an extraordinary and revealing story, tracing Pence from his youth in Columbus, Indiana, through his religious awakening and political climb. It's also an important story. Pence, of course, is a heartbeat away. About my guests, Michael D'Antonio is an author, journalist, and CNN commentator. He shared in Newsday's 1984 Pulitzer Prize for Local Reporting and has written over a dozen books, including the 2015 biography, The Truth About Trump. Peter Eisner has won national and international awards as a foreign correspondent, editor, and reporter at the Washington Post, Newsday, and the Associated Press. He also was nominated for an Emmy in 2010 as a producer at PBS World Focus. As you'd expect from practiced storytellers, it was a terrific conversation. Before we begin, though, I want to remind you about our show's terrific sponsor, The Cook Political Report and a special offer for our listeners to get an 18% discount off all subscriptions. You already know. People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. 
People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. And for Political Wire listeners, a special offer. You can use the code POLITICALWIRE to get 18% off all subscriptions. Just go to cookpolitical.com and use the code POLITICALWIRE, that's one word, to sign up and get 18% off all subscriptions. That's cookpolitical.com slash politicalwire. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Michael D'Antonio and Peter Eisner. Michael, Peter, thanks for joining me. I appreciate uh, both of your time. Uh, there are so many incredible themes that your book covers, and I want to dig into as many of them as we can, like the Trump-Pence relationship and the question that came to my mind, and I'm sure to many others, of who exactly saved who between the two of them. Um, the question of faith that you describe in incredible detail and that explains so much, frankly, about our society today, I think, and the idea that faith or professing faith matters more than actions or facts, and, and there are many more ideas in the book that I, I want to talk to you about. But, but first, I guess to, to, to create the overview, please explain your book's title and your book's thesis. The Shadow President, by that, do you mean Pence's acting as president? Do you mean Pence's lying in wait as president as president what's what is the truth about mike pence that you feel people need to know and michael maybe we'll start with you and then go to peter well i do think that he is lying in wait uh, and and that is one one aspect of the shadow existence that he's now in he's as his friends and supporters say always ready to step in as president and his entire life has been oriented toward getting to the oval office from the, his high school years when he set the presidency as a goal to college when he told people he believed god intended him to be president he has been aiming for this opportunity but uh, we also think that he's more active in setting policy and uh, setting people toward achieving Trump's goals than most people understand. And he populated the federal bureaucracy with his folks. Uh, Donald Trump didn't have a whole slew of uh, people who were professionals in government or political allies. He really came to the presidency uh, ill-prepared to nominate and populate people in his administration. So Pence did that for him. And I, I think that, that uh, it's not a surprise in one sense, because uh, Donald Trump Jr. famously said to John Kasich during the campaign, when he was offering the possibility of, of him being the vice president, that you'll be the most powerful vice president in U.S. history. And Kasich uh, promptly turned it down. But in the in the case of, of uh, Pence, it's showing to be true. Uh, Pence uh, has... Uh, his own people from Indiana um, in uh, the health uh, area, Medicaid, Medicare, um, the Department of Health, uh, and and well beyond. Uh, and there's something else as, as a name also, which, which is that he's had a lot more um, ability to move around and act for the president around the United States. Um, their their campaign uh, uh, organization 
um, First America Policies, which is a, which is a dark money operation, um, is sending Pence every week to to important strongholds where Pence uh, does a stump speech, uh, praising the president, um, uh, promoting his ideas, and and uh, but also being. And one sees that that Pence at the same time is automatically reaching out to a constituency that could easily be his own if if that should happen. You know the, the points that both of you are making. First of all, Michael, um, and then and then Peter, you you amplified it with the the folks that Pence has filled, and you documented in the book the folks that he's filled in in the health uh, positions of the folks he's brought along from Indiana. But also, and I didn't really realize this. I mean, DeVos, Pruitt. Ben Carson, Dan Coates, Alex Azar. I mean, as you as you point out, um, he he really did um, fill the cabinet. And y- you also make clear. I mean, th- this point that you're making of uh, traveling the country and and you know as, acting as a stand-in, a very you know aggressive stand-in, if you will, for for Trump. He's done it overseas a- as well. And so, d- do you feel? I guess has he been was was Don Jr. right? Is he the most impactful, most important vice president uh, that we've seen? Well, I, I certainly think that uh, abroad when he travels abroad and he's actually more comfortable overseas than the president is, he is having a great impact. Either he visited Israel and gave a speech to the Knesset where he sort of sneaked into the monologue, a little bit of uh, scripture that uh, was misrepresented to his audience and really signaled to the Christian right that their man had arrived in Israel. And when he went to the Olympics in South Korea, he got into a tussle over equality for gay Americans. Uh, No matter where he goes, he makes certain to call attention to not only himself and the president's agenda, but to his bona fides as an ambassador of conservative Christianity. And you're right that he did fill the administration with folks who have the same cast of mind. So Pruitt, for example, advocates that Americans use up all their natural resources because they're to be harvested as God intended. DeVos goes to New York City and visits schools, but she doesn't go to a single public school because the agenda there is to uh, support private education and especially religious schools. So, and the list goes on and on with people who advocate the Pence agenda because they're connected to him. And I think they're thinking long term rather than just the first term of the Trump administration. They're thinking, how do we uh, install God's kingdom here on earth? So, so let's talk about faith. And yes, the story uh, that you tell, and I guess it was uh, identified by two, um, P- were they PhD students or doctoral students who kind of dug into uh, what Pence said at the Knesset and said in that uh, Israel presentation. I um, mean, you really document that. I, I, hadn't, I wasn't aware of that previously. Um, and it's it's extraordinary how he does um, seemingly interject real Christianity and Christian faith into that presentation, uh, you know, before the Israeli Knesset. But, but, but Peter, as we think about Pence's 
idea of faith, and I've, I've got a couple other questions on faith, but, but that and the connecting with Trump. I mean, Pence is so vocal about his religious clarity. I mean, the, the greatest example maybe is the fact that he won't eat a meal alone with a woman. And meanwhile, his boss is Donald Trump, who, to obviously exaggerate the point, often seems like he won't eat a meal without a woman. How do the two of them, how do the two of them connect? Well, the first thing that, that we, we want to make clear is that this is not an attack on Mike Pence's faith, per se, or, or on, on Christianity. Um, it's so, so quickly, um, there's some groups of, of, of right-wing evangelicals, and not all evangelicals, but right-wing evangelicals, that tend to, to use any criticism as, as, as them being attacked, as victimization, and some such, which, which we just don't think is real. So the, the first thing to say is that what we're, we're looking at, at someone carrying their faith into political, into the political arena. And we think that, that it's fair to look at that. And that's, that's how we're doing that. Now, as far as, as, uh, Pence and faith and his relationship with Trump, uh, it seems pretty clear that he was brought in as vice president for one key reason, which is that that he's he's a well-behaved, friendly, nice, soft-spoken man that's 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 beloved on the on the evangelical uh, uh, spectrum, and um, with having somebody like Trump, who has who ha- they they have some overlapping constituency, but but the idea is Pence can more or less uh, just. Just calm everyone down. I've got this. Uh, this man is, you know, is is with us. He's helping us, and and it serves a higher purpose. But at the same time, he goes much further. He says things that seem implausible. He says that that he's actually bringing Trump somehow closer to God. He, he keeps repeating uh, anecdotes about how Trump has asked for prayers to be spoken, and that that he thinks that he's having an effect on him. Like that, which which seems rather unlikely. Uh, you know, we we see we see the Trump that he is, and uh, it's very hard to believe that that uh, that a man of faith is bringing Trump very close in that direction. But those kinds of things are going on. Michael, the idea that faith or or professing faith matters more than actions or facts. I, I took that as a theme that you document, and Peter mentioned it a little bit, but I'm amplifying the point perhaps a bit. I see that as a theme running through your book. So first, if you feel that I've gotten that wrong, you please, you'll, you'll point that out. But, but you mentioned it in the case um, you know, of the divorced Gary Hoffmeister running for Congress in 1998 and um, Karen Pence's support for him he wanted, because he wanted to return to the 1960s social norms before divorce had lost its sig- stigma. And you mentioned it um, in Pence and others, and this was just mentioned a moment ago around Scott Pruitt, the denials of climate change and the idea that, and, and I'm quoting here, the, the deity gave man dominion over the earth and should be trusted to deal with its consequences. And and you just, you know, that, that was just mentioned. P- please explain this idea, because I think it's so central to today's disconnect of, you know, what are facts, you know, truth isn't truth. Why is professed faith more powerful than real actions? Well, this is... Uh a theme or concern that many Americans never consider because uh, they don't 
participate in this kind of Christian belief. Uh, they're either in a different tradition or of a different faith, uh, but and they don't recognize this. It's it's Calvinistic, and it's all about the notion that everything that happens on earth is predestined, that God has a plan. Uh, the fact of God's plan is Mike's favorite uh, line of scripture, and it means that the deity chooses who is going to become a Christian before they're even born. Uh, when the evangelical Christian makes his or her declaration of faith, uh, the God essentially smiles upon them and sets the course in their life, and it's uh, in Mike's case, he believes that it's a course that is set for leadership. Um, and when you talk about their denial of climate change science, it's Mike also denies uh, the fact of evolution. He denies that uh, smoking causes cancer. Uh, there's just a whole line of anti-intellectual, anti-science thinking that he brings to life. And I think it's kind of frightening for those of us who want um, leadership that is well-informed and want our, the problems that face this world to be directed. But if you're Pence or if you're someone of a similar faith, you've got the world divided into us and them, and we are the ones whom God favors. Uh, we achieve our goal when we profess our faith. And fascinatingly enough, nothing you do on earth can disqualify you once you've made the declaration. So uh, there is a stream of this theology that says that lying, cheating, uh, doing almost anything in the pursuit of the ultimate goal of uh, creating God's kingdom on earth is all acceptable. And so Trump's transgressions are okay, and so are Pence's, because they're leading us in the proper direction. Again, this is a line of, of evangelical thinking that is not uniform. Uh, this is, and there's a, a growing divide, uh, generational divide, and also uh, intellectual divide between those uh, who inject um, politics into, into their religious life and their religious teachings, including uh, the people that were invited to the White House uh, by by President Trump recently, um, in in which Trump said, "I need you to support us from from the pulpit. Uh, if we don't win the uh, the midterms, there could be violence from the left." Uh, it's kind of like weaponizing uh, a certain group of people. But again, not all, and we're not we're not talking about Christians. We're talking on uh, you know a, a multiple a, a multiplicity of different groups of of Christianity. Uh, we're talking about a, a small group of politicized evangelical leaders that stand with uh, Mike Pence. Again, they, uh, any criticism of him, it, it, it kind of gets to be, oh, look, they're attacking Christianity. Not attacking Christianity, questioning the politics that this particular group 
uh, espouses. And and to that point, Peter, and then I want to ask a follow-up on, on Trump's warning to evangelicals. I, I'm just forgetting right now whether I read this in your book or did I just read this in some other research that I was doing on, on for this conversation. But there was pushback against Trump, wasn't there, from Southern Baptists when he spoke. And again, I'm, I'm kind of confusing when I when this was, whether this was recently or over the last year. But, but he gave – it was seen – by some of the, I think it was the Southern Baptist, I think it was in Houston or someplace in Texas, where, and the, the new youngish leader kind of said something about, you know, we don't, we, we do more theology than politicization. Do I, do I have that right? Do you no, know you what? have that right, and he's not the only one. You know, the Southern Baptists did push back against Pence, so did someone like Franklin Graham, yes, who yes. is steadfast uh, in support of Trump and actually outspoken against us, but he said that this policy on the border of separating children and their parents is uh, unacceptable. So it isn't a monolithic uh, community of faith. There are lots of uh, cleavages in it and lots of divisions. What did you take, Peter, from uh, – uh, I'm sorry, Michael. Peter just mentioned it, um, What Trump, Trump's warning the other day to uh, evangelicals about violence if, uh, GO, if the GOP loses in November. W- was he saying something beyond the words that you or I hear? I mean, it sounds like the weaponization, Peter's, you know, which Peter just characterized it as, but was there something – more to it than that that's being spoken to that audience that that maybe I'm not necessarily hearing? Oh, I think that he was trying to motivate those folks in a way that no political figure ever would, no, no normal political figure. And, and it was also, I think, a shout-out to the extreme gun rights side of the Republican Party people who talk about Second Amendment solutions to political problems. Um, It was so profoundly irresponsible. Um, I doubt that it went over fully with this crowd, although there'd be a number of them who would be inspired to try harder to support Republicans in November. Uh, But it really, I think, was cultural. It was uh, also playing to this conspiracy theory uh, Mm. tendency that's now profoundly uh, rampant in the Christian right, where people believe almost anything said against others uh, as like a warning and and an alarm. Peter, I want to ask you about the overlap between, and and you, again, you documented, and these are really, I think, again, you correct me if I'm interpreting what you've written wrong, but these are two of the most powerful streams that I took that, that come together in Mike Pence. And, and one is the um, that overlap between evangelical Christianity and, and that belief and the economic libertarians. And you, you show how uh, Pence really has the support, whether it's from the Dobsons on the religious side or, or the Kochs on the economic libertarian side. Um, why do these make such powerful political bedfellows? Well, simply because they see a really good, attractive uh, figure um, in, in Mike Pence. Uh, Mike Pence's financial uh, um, success has a lot to do with the likes of, of, of the Koch brothers or, or 
And um, as libertarians, uh, they have looked for figures whom they can support, and they do it with tens of millions of dollars uh, to individuals and hundreds of millions of dollars in total to to try to to get what they want. Uh, a decreases uh, 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 free trade. Um, Limit, limits on what, what the federal government is doing, you know, advocating an end to the F, uh, EPA, things, things of that sort. Um, and and um, they don't really care if they've got the proper um, vessel um, operating for them, if that vessel happens to be uh, social, um, religious uh, uh, preaching. It, it, they'll take it. Uh, you've you've got um, the likes of Dobson and Jeffress and and very extreme and often bigoted um, people who who uh, are preachers who are espousing specific uh, po- extreme political agendas um, that are delighted to be to be uh, siding with and 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 seeing. A new day coming for for their brand of Christianity. So uh, Mike brings it together, and he can do both at the same time, and and all sides are happy. Michael, um, I want to ask about Pence's handling of uh, Donald Trump, and and whether, it, and, and frankly, is there anyone who handles him perhaps better than than Pence does? Um, we all remember that cabinet meeting, the, uh, you documented as well, the December 20th, 2017, um, that, that, you know, where they went around and in excruciating terms, um, praised Trump and, and we've all watched it and you really, you highlight, uh, the, the one that went to the, really the greatest extreme was Mike Pence, who is the, the Washington Post noted, um, offered one expression of gratitude or admiration every 12 seconds over three minutes of, uh, quote, impromptu praise. How much that Pence's handling of Donald Trump is it purely strategic? Is it who he is? Is it he recognizes the role of any vice president? What's the you know you're, you're to, to my knowledge you're not a psychologist, so I won't ask you to play one. Um, but but what's your take on on how Pence handles Trump and and does he handle him better than anybody else? Well, I would I would say it's all of the above. I think it is strategic, uh, uh, but I also think it is who he is. And your observation that he does this very well is spot on. I I think the only two people who do it as well are Melania Trump and Ivanka. And those two have a lot more practice in uh, dealing with Donald than uh, Mike Pence has. And I do think that he comes to it uh, naturally, he's a very diplomatic person in his uh, dealings with other people. He he actually comes from a family where he had very strict parents. Um, you know, I am not a psychologist, but we all know enough that about how our upbringing can determine our behavior later in life. And this is a family where the kids spoke only when spoken to, and when someone entered a room, they were supposed to uh, come to attention right away. And I think he learned in this environment to uh, how to make people happy with him and how to avoid making them angry. And 
this is the key to dealing with Donald Trump. If you don't want to be subjected to the kind of treatment he gives Jeff Sessions, you stay out of his way and you smile benignly. You know, Pence, if he's not beaming at Trump from over his shoulder or praising him effusively, he's uh, got this expression on his face that is so neutral that you could you could imagine he's thinking almost anything and it he certainly doesn't look like he's displeased even when Trump is acting out and doing things that we all know appall Pence as well as they appall everybody else Michael let me just follow up on that because you in particular know Donald Trump from uh the biography that you wrote the truth about Trump and I'm curious I was curious as you researched and learned about Pence, from Trump's point of view, does their relationship make sense? Do you understand it from Trump's point of view? Oh, it it absolutely does. And, you know, I was on the air with CNN the morning that Trump named Pence as his pick for vice president, and they asked me who I thought it would be. And I just blurted out Mike Pence, and I wasn't really sure why I did. But I think what had occurred to me was that he is so soft and so retreating in his interpersonal dealings with people that Trump saw him as no threat. And and this is President Trump, a man who is threatened by almost everybody and everything on earth. And that, that's why he's so angry and so aggressive and bullying is he's always feeling like he's in a battle for his life and he's got to win. And Mike Pence always comes across as a person who's not going to challenge you with anything unpleasant. He's not going to say or do anything unseemly. He's going to be a good guy. And that's what what Trump prizes above all else, is the sense that someone won't challenge him, that they'll do his bidding, and they won't embarrass him. And, and this is why he gets upset with Jeff Sessions, because Sessions said, well, I'm going to uphold the rule of law and do what my office requires, and that's something Trump cannot abide. Peter, to start to close out the conversation, near near the end of your book, you ask, how could a person of good character do nothing as Trump sowed conspiracy theories and divided the country? What's the answer? Well, in that particular case, I asked that very question of, of, of in many different ways, of, of at least one very close uh, advisor of, of, of Mike Pence, who knows him very well and, and has been there. Um, and I said that. How is it possible? He must know. Of course he knows, uh, this person said. Then, then how does he do it? And the answer was was. Simple enough. He said that when Mike got the call, he went off and prayed about everything involved, knowing everything he saw, knowing everything that was involved. And he decided it was the right thing to do. And once he reached that decision at the end of his prayers, he was all in. And that was it. Things were decided. He knew who this man was, good and bad, but he was going to stick with it. Um, it, it, it argues for me uh, the point that, that we've tried to make, that Pence believes that Donald Trump is more or less the herald to a new age for, for his 
evangelical revival in the United States. He has he has very important goals for this country. Uh, day one, the the, destruct, the, the destruction of, of Roe versus Wade, but but all sorts of of social uh, ideas. And no matter what Trump does. No matter how many babies are taken from their parents on, on the border, no matter how many atrocities, and no matter how many lies he tells, I think it's, it's at, at 7.5 lies on average a day, it doesn't matter because this is the herald to a new age that Pence and company um, believe must, is being brought in, and God has done this for them. I find it very frightening. Michael, did you uh, do you agree with the the conclusion of uh, um, what the answer is? How could a person of good character do nothing as Trump sowed conspiracy theories and divided the country? Well, I do think that for Mike Pence, it's not a matter of what he does on a day to day basis. That uh, actions and uh, policies are not where the truth lie. The the truth lies with faith, and he sees Trump as a servant of his religious purpose, and Pence's religious purpose is to usher in Christian America. So we're now on the precipice of that, and people who cast their votes and consider supporting candidates are going to have to reflect on whether they want a conservative Christian America of the sort Mike Pence has always worked for, or they would like a pluralistic society where there's uh, equality and more regard for each other's individual rights than a desire to impose something from above. And that's the inflection point we're at now, and I, I don't think anyone could have imagined it four years ago, but it's undeniable today. Michael, Peter, thank you. Thank you for your time, and uh, the book's a terrific read. Uh, thank you for the reporting that you've done as well. Thanks a lot. Happy to do it. That was my conversation with Michael D'Antonio and Peter Eisner. Want more from Michael and Peter? A reminder to sign up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com. It has bonus insights from them on the question, given what you write about Pence, would the country be better off with President Trump or President Pence? My thanks to Michael and Peter for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon.